Hi, this is Pastor Curtis. I want to thank you for checking out the Family Church Podcast. I hope it encourages you and inspires you to take your next step of faith. You can find out more about how to do that at our website, familychurch.xyz. And if you know a friend who needs to hear this message, please forward it on to them. I hope you enjoy the message. Good morning, good morning, good morning. Who's excited to be at church on New Series Sunday? Look at that, man. Did I, did I tell you guys 8 o'clock crowds is my favorite one? Did I ever tell you that? Yeah, I think I did. But anyway, but uh, no, we, uh, I'm excited to be back. I'm excited to be back, uh, even though we were actually only gone from church uh, one of the past three Sundays. Uh, I didn't preach because we were in the Song Fest series. And so uh, when I'm not preaching, it seems like we've been gone longer than that. But, but I, I'm excited to be back and... Uh, did Kyle and the worship team kill it on that song, Summer Song Fest series, or what? Yeah. Amen. Kyle always does an amazing job with the messages, and I was very impressed by uh, the worship band and how they were able to, to nail those songs so well. Uh, and, of course, Kyle always does good. And for the record, my wife's already put the pressure on now that I'm back in the pulpit preaching. I believe her exact words were, you better bring it this Sunday, Pastor. <laughs> Not, not, not honey, not sweetheart. You better bring it this Sunday, pastor. So uh, the pressure's on. But anyway, I don't know about you, but I sort of have this love-hate relationship with summer. Back in March, I couldn't wait for summer. I love summer in March. Couldn't wait for June to get here. Then we get to where we are now, like the last couple of weeks, like when I went out for my morning walk, was it this last Thursday, Wednesday or Thursday? I always pull up my, look at the weather app, make sure I'm not going to get rained on or anything. 88 degrees, 94% humidity, feels like 102. That's when I'm ready to send summer on down the road, usher in this new season of fall, right? Our son-in-law, Nick, is from Southern California, Orange County, and I was talking to him once about how uh, he was adjusting to Midwest weather having grown up in a part of the country that's pretty much 72 and sunny 90% of the year. His answer surprised me. He said, while he didn't care for the, the humidity and the bitter cold, he said the trade-off of having four distinct seasons was worth it. Perhaps you never thought about it that way before, but yes, while it can get blistering and blistering hot in the summer and brutally cold in the winter, still... You think about it, the changing seasons are a reminder that something is about to end and something new is about to begin, right? In fact, that's the title of this new series. New season, new start. New season, new start. And the reason, the reason that we're doing it now is because of all the seasons, summer is the one that seems to throw us off kilter, throw us off our schedules and routines. Summer is when we tend to um, drift. No matter what season of life you're in between vacations, uh, trips to the lake, ball games, family reunions, summer has, just has a way of kind of messing up our schedule, doesn't it? doesn't matter if you have kids or not. Obviously, when you have kids, you know, you're going to be transitioning to the start of school. We'll talk a little bit about, more about that next week. But it doesn't matter what season of your life in. Summer just kind of seems to put us on a different schedule and disrupts our schedule, including, including our time with God. In fact, statistics bear this out. Church attendance drops 23% in June 
and 34% in July. Isn't that interesting? One out of every four people miss quit going to church in June. One out of every three quit going in July. But not here. Not at Family Church. We bucked that trend at Family Church. Yeah, because you guys are smart people, right? You're smart. You know how I know you're smart? Because you come to church at Family Church. That's how I know you're smart people. But seriously, nationwide, within the church world, there is this thing called summer slump or summer drift. And this is one reason why we have 21 days of prayer towards the end of summer. That's by design to help us get back on track and, and reconnect, uh, not, not just with our schedule, but with God, get with, with God. So new season, new start is about getting refocused, recentered as summer winds down and we move into a new season. So over the next four weeks, we're going to look at four different areas where I feel like we need to get refocused and make a new start. Now, full disclosure, my original plan was to begin the series by talking about the need to get back on schedule because that's kind of where the drift begins when our daily schedules get disrupted. But the more I thought about it and prayed about it, I realized that if we don't understand time and the passing of time, we'll never really understand the urgency and the power of a daily schedule. So we'll talk about the need for our new schedule next week. But this morning, I want to talk to you about having a new perspective, a new perspective. And we're going to look at a guy in the Bible who knew a lot about changing seasons of life, about the passing of time, and about drifting from God. His name is Moses. His name is Moses. And while most of you know that Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible, maybe what you didn't know is that he actually wrote some of the Psalms as well. Now, David wrote most of the Psalms, but Moses wrote at least two, and some scholars believe he wrote as many as 10 or 11, and they're all found between Psalm 90 and Psalm 100 or Psalm 101, depending on which scholar that you read. But we know that this passage that we're going to be looking at this morning, we know that Moses wrote Psalm 90, which would make Psalm 90 the oldest psalm. It's the oldest of all the psalms. It's actually a prayer. And here's what he said in Psalm 90, verse 12. He said, teach us to number our days that we might get a heart of wisdom. The Living Bible has this, it has it this way. Teach us to number our days and recognize how few they are. Help us to spend them as we should. Interesting word, spend. I like how the Living Bible uses that word because, see, we tend to associate spend with currency. And in a way, that's what time is. In fact, in fact, it is the most precious of all commodities or currencies. Here's why. You can run out of money. You'll get more, right? You can get more money. You know, you, you could spend that paycheck because you know at the end of the week or at the end of the month that, you know, that check or that direct deposit, you know, there's going to be more money in there. Not so with time. Once you spend time, it's forever gone. You can't get it back which is exactly Moses' point here. He's saying every single day counts. And how we spend each day adds up to the sum total of what our life becomes. Which brings us to our big idea for this morning's message. The big idea for this morning's message is your time is your life, so spend it wisely. Your time is your life, so spend it wisely. Yesterday morning, I was going over my notes for this morning's message, and Sue was sitting next to me in, in the chair, and she's kind of looking over my outlines and notes. 
knowing, knowing that I was going to be talking about time on her phone. She pulls out her phone and pulls up Jim, Jim Croce's song, Time in a Bottle. Now, you young pups, maybe have never heard of Jim Croce, but you need to do your homework. He was probably one of the greatest songwriters of all time. So Sue pulls up Time in a Bottle and starts playing it on her phone. I, uh, I hadn't listened to that song in a long time. At first, I'm thinking, is this a passive-aggressive way of her saying that she wants to continue Songfest? And so she's playing that song for me. Uh, but um, it's interesting because as I'm listening to that, I thought, you know what? Time in a Bottle could be a commentary on Psalm 90. Time in a Bottle was Jim Croce's interpretation of Psalm 90. And it's interesting because Jim Croce had two number one hits in his life, and they both came out on the same album in 1972. Big Bad Leroy Brown and Time in a Bottle. The interesting thing is Big Bad Leroy Brown became a hit, I mean, almost instantly April of 72 when the album came out. Time in a Bottle did not become number one till after he was tragically killed in a plane crash two years later in 1974. And I got to thinking about that, and I think that that just punctuates the point of that song. We have no idea. Nothing's guaranteed. Nothing's guaranteed. So how do we value our time better? By recognizing how precious it is. Because your time is your life. As your time goes, so goes your life. As your daily schedule goes, so goes your life. So why should we pay attention to what Moses had to say about time? What qualifies Moses to talk about time management anyway? Well, first point, he lived to be 120, which gives him a perspective that no one in here is, it has or is ever going to have, right? So that gives him a little bit different perspective. Uh, but when you look at Moses' life, it could be divided up into four parts or four seasons. The first season would be the adopted as the adopted son of Pharaoh's daughter, who found him floating in the Nile River one day while taking a daily bath. So he was a, he was a Hebrew, but he was raised as an Egyptian in, the, in the, uh, Pharaoh's household, which, mean, which means he grew up lacking nothing. Moses lacked nothing growing up. The second season of of Moses' life was when he had a falling out with Pharaoh's family because he murdered an Egyptian guy while taking up for one of his fellow Hebrews one day. So as a result of that, God puts him in the witness protection program and disguises him as a shepherd and puts him on the backside of the desert to look over a flock of sheep for the next 40 years. You talk about some slow days. You think your you think your dog days are slow, July and August, right? Moses had forty stinking years of continuous back to back July, August, July, August, July, August. A typical day for Moses would have been getting up, taking a hard, taking a herd of sheep out to graze, getting water, and then bringing them back. That's it. You think you got a boring dead end job? Moses would have switched with you in a heartbeat. I'm sure it's Moses. There are days when he thought, what's the point here? What's the point? Take the sheep out, watch them graze, let them drink, bring them in. Wash, rinse, repeat. What did he do while the sheep were grazing? He probably passed the time watching the sun go from the east to the west. And at the end of the day, gather up the sheep, take them back to their pen, only to get up and do it again. Not for a week. Not for a month, not for a summer, 
but for 40 years. And keep in mind, keep in mind, Moses didn't know his own story. It's not like he was sitting out there in the desert every day thinking, okay, County, okay, I know God's gotten something better for me. I know God's gotten something better. No, no. We have the benefit of looking, but we know what God was going to do with him. He didn't have that perspective, right? It's not like he consoled himself each morning on his way out to work and each evening coming home with the thought that this is only for a while. This is only for a while, right? No, we have the luxury of looking back. We know that God was preparing him for something big. He didn't know any of that. For all he knew, that was it. For all Moses knew, his life had been reduced to being a shepherd in the desert, and that was it. The third season of Moses' life was when God told him to go back to Egypt and tell Pharaoh to let his people go. And he didn't want to do it because he said, I'm not a good public speaker, I don't speak well. And God said, trust me. And then, of course, there were all the plagues, and Kyle talked a little bit about that last week, the plagues that Pharaoh that, that the Lord used to change Pharaoh's mind. And then Pharaoh consented, and then relented, then consented, and then relented. With, that's, that's for another sermon. And reluctantly, Moses finds himself at the epicenter of one of the most significant events in the history of mankind, which brings us to the fourth season of Moses' life. And this is when he is the leader of a nation. And they're marching out of Egypt into God knows where, pardon the pun. And they start grumbling and murmuring and complaining and longing for the good old days of Egypt. And they murmur and complain more, even though, even though God's providing for them during this whole time. And so finally, God's had enough. He says, look, if you're going to have that attitude... You can kiss the promised land goodbye, and Moses gets another 40-year job, but this time he's not leading sheep. He gets to lead a bunch of ungrateful, self-centered people around Mount Sinai till they all die. So he goes from one 40-year job on the backside of the desert watching sheep to another 40-year job as the pace car for the Hebrew 400 going around Mount Sinai till they all died off. And what should have been, now think about this, what should have been a 10-day trip to the promised land ended up taking 40 years. Why? Because they took their eyes off the Lord. And when we take our eyes off the Lord, we begin to drift. And we always drift inward. We always drift inward. I share those four seasons of life because I want you to see that Moses is fully qualified to talk about time. If anyone, if anyone ever had perspective on life and the passing of time, it was Moses. And that perspective is revealed to us in this psalm. And listen, what Moses says here should be the context for every decision that we make regarding our time, our time on this planet, as well as our time each day. Again, we'll talk about more about that next week. So Psalm 90, let's begin here, verses 1 and 2. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. In other words, you know, they've lived, they've lived out their entire lives in the context of who God is, his plan, his economy, his purposes. Verse 2, before the mountains were brought forth or ever you had formed the earth and the world, even Moses was a creationist. I said even Moses was a creationist. Huh? Even from everlasting to everlasting, before the mountains were brought forth or ever you had formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. So basically Moses says, God, you're the one true God. You've been around since before this planet existed. Everything points to you. 
The, the, the arrows go in both directions, God. The arrows go in both directions. You're from everlasting to everlasting. Somewhere between the bookends of everlasting to everlasting is Moses, and it's you, and it's me. Let's continue, verse 3, Psalm 90, verse 3. You return man to dust and say, return, O children of man. Look, ultimately, we all know where we came from, don't we? Physically, we know we came from the dust of the earth. That's in the first book of the Bible, right? God made Adam from the dust of the earth, and that's the same place that we're going to go back to when we die, at least, at least physically, at least physically. So this was just, verse 3 is just Moses' way of reminding us that, that God controls the beginning and the end. Everything, including our time. In other words, God actually has input into our daily lives, including our daily schedules. Does that mean he knows how many days we're going to live or that he determines how many days we're going to live? Yes. Yes, it does. You see, most of us, most of us instinctively know that God has control over the beginning and the end of our lives. And I'll prove it to you. If you found out tomorrow that you had a terminal disease, would you pray? See, it doesn't matter if you haven't prayed ever or even in a long, long time. It doesn't matter if you, if you haven't stepped foot inside of a church for a long, long time. If you found out that you or even someone close to you had a terminal disease and only had a few days left to live, I'm thinking you would probably pray. It might be something as simple as, oh God, oh God. But you would pray Because there's something in all of us that deep down knows that God has something to do with the number of our days. We don't understand it. It confuses us. It especially of recent date, it confuses us, right? But deep down, there's something inside of us that, that, that we know that God has something to do with the number of days that we live. Moses continues, verse 4, Psalm 90. For you, a thousand years are as a passing day, as brief as a few night hours. One translation says, like a night watch. And the night watch was divided up into three, three-hour segments. So really what Moses is saying here, he's saying, Lord, a thousand years is like three hours to you. A thousand years is like three hours to you, God. This is Moses' way of saying, look, as fast as time seems to slip by for me, God, it must really fly by for you. See, we measure the passing of time by years. And lest we forget, we have social media to remind us of that fact, don't we? A couple weeks ago, you know, how the thing shows up, you know, so many years ago today, right? This this picture showed up. Ten years ago today on social media. That's Sue and I with our oldest grandchild, Jonah, on his first birthday. I saw that, and I turned to Sue, and I said, did we only have one grandchild 10 years ago? She said, yeah, Jonah. And then, a few days later, this picture pops up. (laughs) One year ago today. And Sue's like, where'd all these grandkids come from? I told her, I said, I told the kids this would happen. I I told them this would happen. Don't blame me. That's what Moses is saying here. For me, I measure the passing of time by years, and another year goes by, then another year, and before I know it, 10 years have flown by. But for you, God, a thousand years must seem like only 
like only three hours. Verse 5, Psalm 90. You sweep people away like dreams that disappear. They are like grass that springs up in the morning. And this is a poetic reference to all of us. We're, we're the grass here. Grass springing up in the morning like a newborn baby. Oh, well, aren't they so cute? Aren't they so cute? They have their whole life ahead of them. Verse 6. In the morning, it blooms and flourishes. But by evening, it is dry and withered. Moses is telling God, you know, you know, I, I guess from your perspective, God, I guess from your perspective, our long years are sort of like the new grass that pops up in the morning, but by the end of the day, it's withered and died. Verse 10, skip down to verse 10. Seventy years are given to us. Some even live to 80, but even the best years are filled with pain and trouble. <laughs> Moses is like, let, let, me, let me tell you my story. Two-thirds of my life, that's 80 years, by the way, two-thirds of my life were spent in the desert, half of them watching a flock of sheep graze all day, and the other half leading a bunch of ungrateful, inconsiderate, whiny-butt complainers around a mountain for 40 years. And then I get right to the edge of the promised land. I'm so close. This is what I've wanted. I'm so close. I could spit on it. And God says, ah, sorry, bud, no can do. You don't get to go in. You can look, but you can't go in. That's my story. Moses would say, that's my story. What's your story? I think I'd be like, uh, never mind, Moses, I think you win the sad story contest. But Moses, how'd you keep your faith? How does anyone keep their faith after enduring what you did? Moses says in so many words, you cannot lose hope because you can't understand the magnitude of God compared to the brevity of your life. Don't lose hope just because you can't understand the magnitude of God compared to the brevity of your life. And Moses continues, soon they, the years of our life, Soon they disappear and we fly away. So here Moses tells us what most people over 40 already know. Time goes by quickly. Time goes by quickly. He continues. For some perspective, think about this. And I just saw this as well. And maybe you saw this as well. It is the same time span between 1970 and now that it was between 1917 and 1970. I saw that and I'm thinking, what? Verse 11, who can comprehend the power of your anger? Your wrath is as awesome as the fear you deserve. Here Moses is saying that if, if we could see God as he truly is, then we really would give him the reverence that he is due. God, you're, you're from everlasting to everlasting. I, I'm like a little frail piece of grass here this morning, gone by nightfall. As fast as I think my life is speeding by, what about your perspective of my life, God? Because to you, three hours is like a thousand years. When it comes to how we spend our time and thus our lives, we would be best served by giving God the reverence due him. Because from God's perspective, from God's perspective, I, you, only really have a, a teeny tiny microscopic slice of time 
to do something with. Or put another way, if we could see God for who he really is, we would be better stewards of our time. If we could capture a glimpse of who God is, the author of our life, and we're here today and gone tomorrow, like the grass, the giver of time, our time, the everlasting to everlasting, we would probably rethink what we do each day and how we spend the gift of limited time that that we've each been given. Don't you think? You see, we don't think like this. This isn't something that crosses our our mind. It, It takes Moses to bring it to our attention because we're too busy spending our time at the speed of life. We think the context of our life is our life. We're born, we live our lives, and we die. Moses says, no, 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 no. The context of your life is everlasting to everlasting. That's the context of our life. You see, in contemplating the brevity of life, which he's about to talk about in the next verse, in pondering the fact that we only have so much time to spend in this life, what are we going to do with that time? All See, all these years, we've been asking the wrong question, haven't we? All these years. You think of how many times over the course of your, your, the, the years that you've lived, how many times have you asked the question, what time is it? It's the wrong question. The question is, what are we going to do with the time that we have? What are we going to do? with the time that we have. Which leads us to his next statement in verse 12, Psalm 90, verse 12. Teach us to number our days that we might get a heart of wisdom. Two important words in this verse. Teach us. Huge phrase. Why? Because it underscores the fact that this doesn't come naturally to us. We don't naturally do this. We need to be taught how to value time, to to number our days. Because see, When we're in our teens and when we're in our 20s, we don't think about this because we've got the rest of our lives, right? And when we think that we have an endless supply of something, we tend to waste it. Which brings us to the next important word. Teach us to number, number our days. When we're in our 30s, 40s, 50s, We don't think about this because time's going by so fast and we're caught up in everyday life of jobs, school, families, meetings, sports, even church, even church. And it seldom dawns on us that we only have a certain number of days to live. And life's responsibilities cause us to live our lives as if we're going to live forever. We spend our time as if we'll always have each other. We spend our lives as if we'll always have our parents. We spend our time as though it's unlimited. And we know it's not. But in terms of how we schedule, in terms of how we prioritize, in terms of how we live out each day, we do, we do so with the mindset that we're going to live forever. As if our days are not numbered. And Moses says, no, 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 no. Your days are numbered. Your days are numbered. You need to live your days with the understanding that you only have so many of them. See, you actually understand this better than you realize. For example, all of you women who ever had a wedding, see, you counted, right? You counted the number of days from the day you got engaged till that special day, right? So when's a wedding? 29 days, 14 hours, 3 minutes, and 10 seconds, right? 
How many of you ever had a final exam or a huge test? You've numbered your days. I guarantee you, you numbered your days, right? Because you were told when the exam was, and you begin to number your days from the moment that you found out about the exam till the day you took the exam. And some of you numbered your days properly. So many days out from the exam, and you begin preparing for the exam by studying. And some of you numbered your days, all right, all the way up to the night before and ended up pulling an all-nighter, right, to study for the exam that you knew for two months was going to happen. On those occasions where we have a huge deadline, we live as if our days are numbered. So we really do. My point being, we really do know how to live with that mindset. We know how to live with deadlines knowing that there's only a certain window of opportunity. Moses' point here, listen, listen. Moses' point is, what if you lived your entire life that way? What if you lived your entire life with that mindset? See, this this really isn't a depressing subject. This is reality. This is reality. This, this will actually help you do a better job with your daily responsibilities and the time that you do have. Moses says, teach us to number our day. And then here's the promise. Here's the payoff. If we're willing to do that, verse 12, Psalm 90. So that we may grow in wisdom. So that we might make better use of the 24 hours in each day, seven days in each week, 52 weeks in each year that we're given. The implication is if we don't number our days, we won't use them wisely. And I think most of us, we've probably proven that to be true, haven't we? Numbering our days immediately makes us wiser because it brings context to our lives. When you number your days, you begin to see how short and how insignificant our lives really are in the eternal scheme of things. As morbid as it sounds, living with the end in mind is really biblical. Moses says we were born in the middle of this drama, this story. And when we're young, we think, we think that we are the story. We think the story's about us. That's because we don't have any context. But the more, trust me, the more sunrises and sunsets that you live through, the more context you have for life. This, ex- this explains why at some point in your life, you're going to ask, what's the point? What's the point of life? Elementary school, high school, college, work, marriage, kids, divorce, remarriage, more kids, retire, golf, sickness, death. Woohoo, bring it on. And if you believe in reincarnation, you get to do it again and again and again. Right? Asking the question, what's the point, is the equivalent of asking, what's going on? Why am I here? Why isn't this working out for me? Listen to me, dear ones. We are not around long enough on this planet for the story to be about us. It's not about us. And this is something Moses learned the hard way. Passing seasons, like seasons of life, help bring context and purpose to our lives. Because here's what history has taught us. Those who try to make their story about themselves, they always run out of time. They end up old, frustrated, discontent, angry. Get off my lawn! And they die early, oftentimes. See? That's why we name our dogs Nero, Adolf, and Caesar, and our children Matthew and Peter and Ruth and Mary. People who had an eternal perspective and lived for something beyond themselves. A new season and a new start begins with a new perspective, 
a perspective that we can only acquire by numbering our days. Because wisdom, wisdom comes through remembering that our days are numbered and that there's a broader context to our lives than our lives. And this leads to better decisions. So three questions to kind of keep the discussion going. This will be in the the notes. There's actually, I think, five or six in the notes, but I'm just going to put three up here. This is to kind of keep the discussion going this week. How has your view on time changed since you were a child, a student, an adult? How do you respond to the question, what's the point of life? What's your response? What's your initial knee-jerk response to that question? Remembering the context of your life in light of God's everlasting to everlastingness, how will you approach life differently? See, this really is a life changer because your time is your life. So make sure that you spend it wisely. Bow your heads. Let me pray for you. Father, as we transition into a new season over the next few weeks, I pray that you would teach us to number our days so that we might gain a new perspective, an an eternal perspective. And as we do, I claim the promise of your word that you will grant us wisdom along the way, wisdom to get refocused and recentered on you, your plan, and your purpose for our lives. Those of us who unintentionally got distracted by the busyness and activities of summer, not realizing that we were drifting further and further from you, God, draw us back to you now. We ask forgiveness for that. Just just draw us back to you as we get refocused. And while your heads are bowed, if you're here this morning and you're maybe you're far from God, you know, now would be a good time to come near to him because I'll tell you this, he's waiting for you with open arms. In fact, he's not only waiting for you, he's been expecting you. He's been expecting you. Like the father in the story of the prodigal son who on the day that the prodigal came home, we're told that his father was looking for him. The implication being the father had been looking for him every day since he had wandered off. Just like your heavenly father is waiting on you with open arms. If that's you, you're ready to come home. It would be my honor to lead you in a prayer of repentance so that God will receive you to himself. If you just be willing to pray this prayer after me, just say, Lord Jesus, I know my life is broken and I can't fix it because I've tried. So this morning I surrender my life to you. Forgive me of my sins. Those things that I've done that have separated me from you and your plan and purpose for my life. Draw me back to you or draw me to you. Thank you for dying for me, for my sins. And now I'm inviting you to come live inside of me, inside of my heart by your Holy Spirit, and help me begin living my life for you. In Jesus' name.